Let's just have a moment of prayer again before we get started into the message this morning. Uh, Father, thank you for again for allowing us to be here this morning. Thank you for each and every person. Would you just, uh, by your Holy Spirit, do what I can't do with with my words? May it be your words. And so, Father, open hearts and minds to your word this morning. Help us to engage in what you would have us do to take that next step to to move forward in our relationship with you. Thank you for your son who died for us that makes this all possible. And so, Father, may we just get ourselves out of the way, just see you and know what you would have for us this morning. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm glad you're here this morning. Hope you're ready to learn some things about relationship, uh, relationships with God and with other people this morning. And I'm excited about small groups coming up this season. So much in the works and going on, so much potential for that. And we'll be back in our small groups around the week of August 15th. There'll be some start then. The students will start back that week of August 15th on Wednesdays and other groups as well. Tony did an awesome job last week uh, in our C2 series. Yeah, talking about community community squared is what we've been looking into. And there are two communities that we're hoping people will be a part of. One, the community of believers as a family, as brothers and sisters in Christ, that we would engage with one another in community. And then the community you live in, impacting that community with the community of believers. And that's what summer service projects are all about, but we hope that initiates something in people's lives that goes on all throughout the year, not just during those projects. But Tony really hit me on the nose a couple times last week and last Sunday. And uh, regardless of whether you like Ric Flair or country music, okay, there, there are things that he talked about that you can't argue with when you get into those one another verses and things we can only do in that first community of believers, okay, the community of believers. And I would say that takes us being involved in small groups, in a small group uh, environment. We're going to talk about the difference this morning between what we're doing right here and what happens in small groups. And so uh, I, I often say, talk about this, that there's 52 Sundays, you know, 52 weeks a year. Let's say you hit 40 of those Sundays, hopefully you would hit everyone and be at church, but we know that doesn't happen, vacations, sickness, all that stuff. So let's say you get 40 Sundays a year, and so, you know, people often say, well, I want deeper Bible study. Okay, if you you could just take the, me- if you just got all that stuff he talked about in the message, but last Sunday of those one another verses, but if you just got one thing out of the message every Sunday that you came and applied it to your life and that changed about you, 40 things about you would change. Is that not amazing? Okay. Think about how much closer to God you would be, how, how you would spiritually grow, the things that would happen in your life. It's, you know, as I say, it's not about um, more information. We need more application. It's not, you know, information's good and you're going to get that. Okay. But it's a thing of we really need to put into practice the things we learn. And, and when I was listening to that last Sunday, I was like, it's stuff I've heard before but I just don't always get it right, or there's some things I may not be doing at all, and I need God's help to change that about me. And I need to take the steps and go, okay, there's cert- certain things God has prescribed for me to do that if I would just step into that and do it, then I could. those things would happen in my life. Then it would open up that door as I work out my salvation and step into those things that God would be at work in me, as it says in Philippians chapter 2. And so sometimes we don't need more information. We just need more application. And people so want everything microwaved today. And that's, and that's what we think. We, we, we Even spiritual maturity and relationships with people, we, we want to microwave that and just make it all good instantly. But it just you can't microwave spiritual maturity. You can't microwave healthy relationships. You can put it in an incubator, but you can't microwave it. You can put it in that incubator and feed it and give it some heat, keep it healthy. And and that incubator for, for what I see in Scripture is small groups. 
it's it's a place it's an incubator for spiritual growth and relationships and so there's those things you maybe heard it said this way uh, that there's some things that every pastor wishes that they could just press a button and in your life and everybody would be doing these things and experience certain things and so as a pastor one of those things is is that for you to sit here one Sunday and you've shared your faith with somebody and you get to watch somebody get baptized that you've shared Christ with that you've helped lead to Christ and and, and I wish I could push a button and all of you guys would experience that and, and we talk about this a lot too of it's that thing of when you come to church by yourself you sit here and you go, well, did I like the music? Did I like that song? Did I like what Marty said? Did I like the message or what Tony said? Or, you know, was the coffee good? We evaluate everything on what, how did I feel about that? Did I like that? Am I going to come back based on what I experienced? But when you bring somebody to church, which a lot of people in the Southern Baptist world never experience, when you bring somebody to church, all of a sudden, what are you doing? I wonder what they think. I wonder if they like the coffee. I wonder if they like the music. All of a sudden, you're thinking about somebody else. And you're hoping they enjoy it. And all of a sudden, your heart moves towards, man, I want to make this good for my friends and I want to help come to Christ. And it it changes your mindset about church. All of a sudden, you're not evaluating it based on you. You're evaluating it based on maybe somebody that doesn't know God through Jesus Christ at all. But I wish I could push that button and you guys would experience what it's like to, to see somebody baptized, even be involved in that baptism of someone who you've led to Christ. And I I wish everybody, I could just press a button and those who are committed to the church and and joined would have just an open-handed philosophy towards God and generosity to others, that we had a church full of people who weren't possessed by their possessions, if you get that. And most importantly, I wish I could press a button and every single person even slightly connected to the church or even your neighbors, I wish I could just press a button and they would all get involved in a small group of some kind. That they would experience relationships the way God intended for those relationships to be in a circle. And so I'm going to talk today a little bit about this idea of rows and circles, if you've heard us talk about that before. The idea originally was was kind of that way of talking about it was developed by a guy named Andy Stanley, and then now it's become a, a big a way of talking about this when referring to small groups. So that, that terminology, that's where it came from. And so the reason I wish this is because here at TCAR, we too believe that circles are better than rows, that both are needed, but the thing that really moves you forward are those is the circles. Um, face-to-face talking about God is better than all of the faces looking at me, right? For you guys to sit in a circle and talk about God together, look in his word, study, encourage each other, be there for each other, develop relationships that's going to help you stay in uh, the path where you're supposed to be, those kind of things are much more important. And so if I could press a button and put you in a meaningful, multiplying, weekly, with other people, opening God's word, praying together, serving together, reaching out to the community together, small groups, that is what I would want for you first and foremost. Okay? And the bottom line is that our small groups are where growth really happens. Yeah, there's, there's times in here where people take that step into faith and they become a Christian here instantly but that growth process really happens real life change happens in that in those small groups Authentic, authenticity happens that's where we get real with each other we take down the kind of let down those barriers that's why it's hard to get people in small groups right because we like to put up our facade and here's my Facebook persona and I don't want anybody to know that my life's any different than what I put out on there right and so we, we hesitate to, to get real with people and sit down and, and do the hard stuff of life together, knowing at some point I'm going to tick you off, you're going to tick me off, we're going to have some issue, and, and I don't want to ever do that. Let's just keep our pseudo relationship the way it is and just say hi, you know, on Sunday mornings and never go deeper into a relationship where we know we're going to have to deal with some stuff eventually, right? We, we kind of shy away from that. 
but pastoral care happens in those groups, accountability happens in those groups, a sense of belonging and connection happens in there. And the end result of what we want to see you involved in does not end here on Sunday, but ultimately leads to real community in small groups. And so one of our core values, as you know, is relationships. It's, it's, a, it's vital to spiritual growth and a healthy life. And so it's our philosophy to have a ministry in the church, um, philosophy of ministry, that we're a church of small groups. We don't just have small groups and it's part of the cafeteria plan that you can just, you know, I think I'll go to that, I think I'll do this. But it's here's what a healthy Christian life looks like. So this is, we're a church of small groups. So we have rows and we have circles. Rows, like this this morning, symbolizes corporate worship. You know, we've talked about that. Circles symbolize small groups because we sit face-to-face in circles and small groups. Um, Carolyn Takeda, who is a small group director at the Church of California, written a great description of what we mean by circles. She writes this, These believers, referring to the early church in the book of Acts, engaged in life together through teaching, fellowship, communion, prayer, miracles, radical generosity, and corporate worship. They spend time together eating, learning, celebrating, proclaiming the good news, and supporting each other. In addition, the 50 plus one another verses in the New Testament flesh out other aspects of this community. Tony talked a lot about that last week. For example, it was a place where people loved, forgave, served, bore burdens, encouraged, exhorted, prayed, equipped, spoke the truth in love, confessed sins, and treated each other as precious members of one body. God never intended for us to live the Christian life alone. How can we apply these one another references unless we are in intentional, close relationships with each other? God calls us to love, not in an abstract or superficial way, but in a deep, face-to-face, life-on-life, transforming way, which is difficult and inevitably messy. Okay? In our modern culture, small groups are often viewed merely as a program or a fellowship ministry within the church. But for the New Testament church, it was a way of life, encompassing every area of their lives. Their relationships with one another were critical to their pursuit of Jesus, their growth in Christ, and their witness to the good news. It would be impossible to experience biblical community apart from spiritually significant, intentional relationships with other believers. Relational structure like small groups, therefore, are an integral part of being the church and not just doing church. Okay, that's a great way to describe that. So, so we talk about your circle. Who's in your circle? Do you have a circle of people, believers, that you do life with in the way that we're talking about? We believe every believer... No, no, there we go. Okay. So why do we believe that everybody needs a circle? Why, where do we get this in Scripture? Where do we see this in the Bible? You can look at several examples. Of course, God had a circle. We talked about this with the Trinity. In other words, this circle is rooted in the very nature of God. God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit exists eternally in relationship with himself, Okay. We are made in his image, the Genesis 1.27 verse, right? So that means we are created for relationships in community. That's what he has always been. So God stated before the fall, when everything was perfect, that it is not good for man to be alone. Why would he say that? Because it, it was not a complete picture of what he intended for us. 
He's like, yeah, it's great that I've made man, but it's also not good that he is alone. And I don't know if you want to turn the house lights up a little bit because some people look at their Bible, and I know that that can help them a little bit. Um, there we go. But but God stated before the fall, it's not good for man to be alone in Genesis 2.18. There's a guy named Dr. Belazikian, and he said this, community is deeply grounded in the nature of God. It flows from who God is because he is community. He creates community. It is his gift of himself to humans. Therefore, the making of community, this is the big part I want you to get because this, this is... This is him saying this. I agree with it. Okay, You can be mad at him, but throw it at me if you want to. But Therefore, the making of community may not be regarded as an optional decision for Christians. It is a compelling and irrevocable necessity, a binding divine mandate for all believers at all times. Okay, So God had his circle. It's how he created us to be and for us to live. And secondly, Jesus had a circle while he was on the earth. He had this same thing going on of a small group. In Mark 3, when you look at 13, you look all the way through 19, we'll just read through 16 this, this morning. He said, and when he went up on the mountain and summoned those whom he himself wanted, and they came to him, and he appointed 12 so that they would be with him and that he could send them out to preach. So he, they could be with him, okay? And to have authority to cast out demons, and he appointed the 12. Okay, so even Jesus did this himself. The 12 disciples were that inner circle that Jesus had that functions as a like a traveling small group. They just went everywhere together. He appointed them that he took them with him to teach them so they could talk about what was going on and have community together. And and he appointed them so that they might be with him, even as a human. Yes, fully God, but Jesus fully man. That man part of him said, yes, I'm supposed to be in community with people here on this earth. So he modeled that. Okay? So it was about relationship and ministry, which is what we want our small groups to look like. It said he he had them with him and he sent them out to preach. And it was one of those things of being in community together, but that community of believers going out into their community as well. And we want relationships and sending out to multiply and start more groups. And then the Apostle Paul, you can look at him do Scripture. And I know some of us, in our minds, we have this concept of, well, must be raining. Um, you have that in your minds, too, because I just heard that. But anyway, it, you have this concept in our minds about Paul that, oh, he was this missionary. He was on his own all the time. He just went out and started churches, and he was this Lone Ranger kind of guy that just superhero of of the faith that just was on his own and did whatever he wanted to do but when you look at specifically if you read that last chapter of Romans 16 which we'll look at just a couple verses in there but if you read that whole thing I'll mention some things throughout that but even Colossians 4 uh, 7 through 18 2 Timothy 4 6 through 22 um, there's all kinds of places where he wrote that he talked about this circle and these these people he was so connected with. Paul named over 100 fellow Christians that he had relationship with by name in the pages of the New Testament. Isn't that amazing? He often expressed this need for other believers in his life. He would make those kind of statements. He, He... He lived a life in community, not an isolated life. It's what all the letters were about. Romans 16 is a great example of this. It's a very personal letter that Paul wrote, um, a personal section of this letter that he wrote, and greets many many of his fellow believers in Rome. Okay, And we're going to learn an important truth and some reasons why it's true from his example. Um, another quote from a guy named Warren Wiersbe. He he summarizes this chapter 16 in this way. He says, what a remarkable chapter. In it, Paul greeted at least 26 people by name, as well as two unnamed saints. He also greeted several churches that were meeting in homes. He closed with greetings from nine believers who were with him in in Corinth when he wrote the letter. So he's not just out here alone all the time. He, He had people with him, and he was very connected to all these places. And so what's the significance of this? It shows that Paul was a friend maker as well as a soul winner. 
He did not try to live an isolated life. He had friends in the Lord, and he appreciated them. They were a help to him personally and to his ministry. In my own reading of Christian, of Christian biography, I have discovered that the servants whom God has used the most were people who could make friends. They multiplied themselves in, their, in the lives of their friends and associated and associates in the ministry. While there may be a place for a, the secluded saint who lives alone with God, I don't think there is, it is my conviction that most of us need each other. We are sheep. Sheep flock together. We need each other, is what he says. So why do we need each other? One, we're connected to each other in Christ. We are the body of Christ. We're connected to each other. Phrases like in Christ and in the Lord, as you read, are used at least ten times just in this chapter that he writes. We are connected to each other. We are family. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We are diverse, but we should be unified and yet interdependent. Okay? We have this common bond of Christ. We've all been given different spiritual gifts, and yes, we may function in different ways, but we're supposed to do that together as the body of Christ. God designed us for community, and part of the reason He created the church the way it is, and that's what He's doing during this time, is on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. He's building the church. As He's doing that, it's to meet this need of community in the community of believers to reach the community, to be his ambassadors. And it's this thing of together we remind each other of that common bond. You know, you've heard us talk about you get, you've got to preach the gospel to yourself every day. If we lose sight of the fact that we've been forgiven, what Christ did for us, if we lose that salvation excitement, because that's usually what happens to people. You know why that happens to people? Because we're not around each other, reminding each other, and sharing the gospel with each other. Even as believers, it's great just to sit around and go, isn't it great what Jesus did for us? That's why we have the Lord's Supper, is to remind us. It's why we have baptism, is to remind us that we need Christ every day, and that what we, what we had, I mean, how can you not be thankful and excited every day? The, the reason it happens, we shift away and into other things, and we get isolated. That, but you, you, together we help each other keep that excitement about how great Jesus is and what he's done for us and what he is inviting us to do in the world. And it's an amazing thing. And we need each other. We're, we're connected to each other in Christ. We, we need to hear the gospel every day. I, it's that thing of dying to ourselves daily because we know what Christ has done for us. And when we meet together, it's not just being in small groups and being here on Sundays. When you get in community together, then you get that text from somebody in your small group on Monday, on Friday, whenever it is that says, hey, just praying for you this morning. You know that job interview you're having, I just want you to know I'm praying for you. God is good no matter what. That's that connection we need with each other that reminds us of what it's really all about. So we need... We're connected to each other in Christ. We need each other's love is a big deal. Okay? Paul referred to several people as beloved. Okay? He spoke of Priscilla and Aquila risking their necks for him. He spoke of the mother of Rufus being like his own mother. Jesus said, this is my commandment. Right? That you love one another as I've loved you, John 15, 12. Okay? That, that's directly from Jesus. We're to love one another it's a commandment, okay? It's not something that's optional that we go, well, I just, I'm not really a part of the church. I'm not connected anywhere. Uh, yeah, I love people from a distance, right? That, that doesn't really work. That's not what this is talking about. And we need each other's help, okay? Phoebe is called a servant and a helper in these passages. Paul referred to people as fellow workers and as laboring for him and the Lord, Um we need to minister to and receive ministry from each other, okay? And I know we're to minister to the community. The Bible talks about how we're, we're to take care of each other as believers. It actually says we're to take care of each other first and then those outside the church, right? 
but how hard is it to get people to take care of each other inside the church? It's not that hard. So that's why we always get up here and say, hey, we got to stay outward focused. we got to stay outward focused. We can't forget about our community. Yes, the community of believers is great. When you get in there and you understand what it's about and you live in that and, and you get really connected, it's great. Okay? There's several of you sitting in here that could share your story about how getting connected, being in community, when you've gone through hard times, the thing that has kept you going is because you had these important relationships with people in the church and they ministered to you in a certain way, they helped you in a certain way, they encouraged you in a certain way. That that the, the Bible, that's this whole perseverance of the saints, the, the thing that helps us persevere is community together. We help each other. One of the aspects of persevering is, is being in community together so we help each other so that we stay to the end. Okay? So we need each other's help. And we need each other's protection. Paul digresses from the greetings in verse 17 through 20. It's a little different than how he goes through and it's like, hey, I'm thankful for this person. This person's great. This person did this and I'm so thankful. Make sure and tell this person hi and, and I love them and all that kind of stuff. And he gets to verses 17 through 20 and a warning and instructions about how to handle false teachers that cause divisions. And we need to protect each other from wolves among the sheep. In Acts 20, 28 through 30, it talks about this, that same concept. And the sheep need to be loved. And part of the way we do that is by shooting the wolves. He says in verse 17, Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned and turn away from them. For such men are slaves, not of our Lord Christ, but of their own appetites, and by their smooth and flattering speech they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. So, so we need each other's protection. And we need each other just for the simple reason of getting the gospel to the world. Okay? This is implied throughout the chapter. Paul talks about this specifically in the benediction at the end of the chapter. And as they served the Lord together, they served each other and they reached out to the world with the gospel. It, it mentions both of these things, how they've taken care of each other and how they've helped each other to spread the gospel. They were planting churches. Epinetus was the first fruits of Achaia to Christ, is what it says. We are partners in the gospel. Okay. Even Paul, the great church planner, could not do it alone. Okay? We need to get that in our minds because often we think of Paul as this great missionary who did all these great things himself. He did it in community with other people. And the early church lived together in circles. As, we, as you get into the book of Acts, all those things of why we needed each other, you see it in the book of Acts. We we talk about this over and over. You're like, oh my gosh, Marty, you're not going to read Acts chapter 2, verse 40 through 47 one more time, are you? Yes. Okay? I am. It's a, it's, I'm very passionate about it. There's so much in there about why we do this. Okay? We've we got to look back and go, what did the early church do and why? And so that we know what we're supposed to do and why. Okay? So so it's very important to me. It's it, you can look at Acts 2, 40 through 47, 5, 42, and 20, 20. The early church grew very large and very quickly because multitudes of people were trusting in Jesus. Okay? But, but the thing is, as they grew larger, you've probably heard Rick Warren talk about this, as we grow larger, we've got to grow smaller, which simply means as there's more and more people, we've got to have more and more small groups. Small groups become more and more important the larger you get, okay? And so there has to be that structure for that. They grew smaller also because in addition to large gatherings in temple courts, they were having smaller gatherings in homes. Um, so, so this example of rows and circles is based on their example, okay? So let's just read 42 through 47 in that Acts chapter 2 there. Says they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Fellowship, which is, as we know, is a deeper word than just let's, you know, have some food together in the fellowship hall, right? That's what 
or everything that seems to go on in churches these days. They go, oh, we're going to fellowship together. They just throw that word in there to make it sound real spiritual, right? But unless there's that face-to-face in circles doing life together and talking to each other and praying for each other and those kind of things, really fellowship doesn't really happen. It's just a, it's just on the surface, okay? Devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Maybe that's sermon-based small groups. I'm not sure. But to breaking of bread and to prayer, okay? Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had every had all things in common. And they began selling their prop, property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, there's Rose, okay, both, because there's the apostles teaching, so they would do the Rose and teach, okay. Uh, some of the stuff I'm reading, though, talks about interesting that in those temple courts, they would still break down into smaller groups. They didn't have amplification and all that stuff, but they would break down into these smaller groups, and the apostles would teach, basically preach in those divided sections, okay. Um, that's just stuff I'm reading. I'm not saying that's the gospel and that's the way it happened, but it's it's some interesting stuff that I've been reading about of possibly the way it was done even there, subgrouping, okay? So they were meeting in the temple courts. They still did the rows, okay? With one mind in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, small groups. They were... They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. So it talks about breaking bread and meals. Okay, so what's the difference? Breaking bread, they were having communion together, the Lord's Supper. They would do that, okay? With gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord, that having favor with all people, it's interesting that um, today in our culture, Christians aren't seen favorably. But yet it says here they were, okay? And I often say if people think you're mean or weird, it's just because you're mean or weird. It's not because you're a Christian, okay? You don't have to be mean and weird if you're a Christian, okay? You don't have to carry around your Bible and smack everybody with it, okay? That's, that's not what we're supposed to be doing, okay? We have grace and truth, and that's a hard thing to balance sometimes, okay? And having faith with all the people, and the Lord was adding to their number daily those who were being saved. So so, so here's the deal. Um, based on what you see in Scripture of, of God and how he created us, to Jesus and how he even lived on the earth and he died for the church, for the body of Christ, okay? Based on what you see with Paul and, and how he functioned and how the early church even functioned, we see that the church is designed to be a family living in relationships with each other, okay? I know that scares you, right? It does. It makes us nervous to think, really? That's something I need to do? It is, okay? And I'll talk about that a little more at the end here, but we that's why we focus here on building relationships and being the church to each other and the world. And small groups are are just this great vehicle to accomplish that, okay? And just just face it, life's hard enough on your own. I say this to people a lot, okay? Because I, I, you often do something nice for people or help somebody, and they're like, oh, man, thank you, that's great. I'm like, hey, look, life's hard enough on your own. we got to help each other. It's just the way it goes, okay? Don't know how you make it alone, okay? Even Jesus said this in Luke 17.1. He said this, Jesus said to his disciples, Things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, okay? It is inevitable that stumbling blocks come, but woe to him through whom they come. That's another warning altogether. We won't focus on that part, okay? That's that wolf part back there, okay? But there are things that are just going to, isn't that encouraging? It's just like the verse that, that, that talks about it's not a matter of if problems in this world you will have trouble. Thanks Jesus appreciate you saying that. Thought you came to save me from that. No. During this time we're, this is cursed world time. Okay, Coming world, yeah all that goes away. But this right now stumbling blocks and trouble will come. Okay, But Jesus looked at that inner circle of guys. He looked at his closest friends 
and said this very important thing about life, okay? Eventually, you're going to stumble over something. Okay, and here's the implication of that. If you saw it, you wouldn't have stumbled over it, right? So there's things that you're going to stumble over, and it's just going to happen. There's nothing you can do about it, and and it's not like you could have done anything about it. It just happens. So Jesus gives us a head, heads up that things like that cause us to stumble are going to be there. And the Greek writers, the way it was done in their language, the most important word or phrase was, was put first. And so um, I, I think the guy who came up with Yoda in Star Wars was probably a, a, a Greek guy, okay? Because um, it's how Yoda talks. So the literal translation of this verse would sound more like impossible it is for stumbling blocks not to come, right? So it, maybe that's the way Jesus talked, okay? It's, maybe he is the original Yoda. I don't know. He's not just a great teacher. Don't Marty's a heretic. Oh, my gosh. And that's, that'll be the thing that everybody got from today, okay? But it sounds like Yoda, right? It has that. And, and it's what Jesus said. No matter who you are, there is no way to live this life without the potential for things to trip you up and cause you to stumble. It's just going to happen. And it's those friends, those habits, those those things that catch us off guard, and the next thing you know, something's happened to our faith, something's happened to our intimacy with God, and all of a sudden we're just not involved like we used to be anymore. Uh, and, and, and here's where this comes from, okay? It's how important it is. My de- this desire for us to for for people to move from being in rows to being in these circles, okay. It's it's easy, it's so easy to just stumble out of church, for something to happen. We stumble. Next thing you know, we're just not going as much as we used to. It, it you know it's just an attendance thing. There's just it's just a money thing, or it's just a organized religion thing versus unorganized religion thing. It's it's just a it's just a thing, right? It's, so all of a sudden we're like, it, it, it's easy to do. You just stumble out of the routine. I didn't go last week. Nobody seemed to notice. I'll just not do it again. We think people didn't notice, right? It's 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 easy to kind of stumble out of church. It's it's easy to seem to just kind of stumble out of your so-called relationship, sort of relationship with God, right? I just don't read my Bible as much anymore. I just don't really pray as much anymore. I just don't really hang out with the right people as much anymore, that group of people that kind of help me forward, right? Just, But here's the deal. It's really, really hard to stumble out of a small group, right? Because something happens in your life, and all of a sudden people are calling you up like, hey, we're going to organize meals for you. Hey, hey, we're, com- we're going to... Can, you don't have lunch? On, there's people that will per, will pursue you, right, when it comes to small groups. Because you have this deeper relationship. It's relational, it's tangible, and people are paying attention to what's going on in your life. So they see that stumble, and they come over to help you. Okay? If the relationship's good enough, they can look at you and say, hey, notice this, you're doing okay. And when you say, yeah, I'm fine, they go, oh, no, don't give me that. It's not just one of these, how you doing? Oh, I'm fine, and we move on. I, I've i noticed this, so let's talk about that. Are you really okay? Right? It's really, family is who we usually turn to for sympathy, right? But when you stumble out of church, out of kind of a relationship with God, who's the last person you're going to listen to? Your biological family, right? It's, Wives know this, right? Your husband is distracted now, works more important than it ever was before. There's more to do, gets busy, and or golf is more important than Sunday morning services, or hunting is more important than Sunday morning services, and so we just start uh, skipping things. And, 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 and the thing is, when your family comes after you and it's like, hey, okay, they're the last person you're probably going to listen to, right? We don't listen to our, sorry, Dad. We don't listen to our parents, do we? We don't listen to our spouse. Mine's at home today. But I do those things. I listen to my parents and my spouse, okay? 
just for the record, okay? But we, we, we don't usually do that, do we? We'll go to them for sympathy, but we just don't somehow want their advice, right? We don't want them calling us out when we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing. It's the last people we want to listen to, right? Now, the wisest man ever to live, other than Jesus, was a guy named Solomon, right? So Solomon said some things that he even didn't apply to himself, okay? And he actually told this one and then went out and did it anyway. It was great advice, really important stuff, and then he turns into the example himself in Scripture, and it's, it, it, and, and it's one of those things of when you don't listen to the very wise advice that you gave other people, right? And don't be hard on Solomon because don't you love it? Now that I'm a dad, you love it when your kid comes to you and, and reminds you of the advice you gave him because you're in that situation. He was, hey, remember, Dad, you told me about it. Don't we love that? Okay, as parents, we love that. You tell your kids not to do something, and then they turn around and go, oh, Dad, you're not, be careful, don't do that. Right? I, I've told this story before, but I have to again. And it's, that's why my dad loves coming to church here, because he gets to hear all these stories of when we were younger and things that's happened in our life. But it's, it's kind of like... Uh, one time some of my friends came, we, we were living in Knoxville, and some friends of mine came down that I used to go to high school with, and we were in college, and we are going to go up in the Smoky Mountains and go hiking, you know, and so they we were going to camp out overnight and all this stuff, so three of my friends show up, and dad's out in the front yard and has the golf club, and we lived, it was a new neighborhood, and there was a farm next door, and so dad's hitting golf balls out across the trees into this farm, and He's really not getting anywhere. It's, he's having trouble. He's trying to figure out what's wrong, so he's slicing and hacking and doing all kinds of things, and it's not really going across the trees into the field. And so I'm like, hey, Dad, let me try it. You know, and for the record, my father is a way better golfer than I am. I don't play half as much as fourth, tenth, hundredth as much as he does. But he's really good. So this was one of those things that there's no way I'm going to hit one better than him, but I was like, I'm going to give it a try. So I'm like, let me try. So the whole time, as soon as he hands me the club, like, you know how it is, like five or six times in a row, you get that whole, now, son, because the house is over here and you're hitting down across the front of the house. He's like, now, son, don't hit the house. You're going to hit the house. Don't don't hit the house. Don't hit the house. And he says it like ten times, right? So I hit the golf ball, and it soared so beautifully across the trees and out into the field, and it lands out in the field. And, and I was just so, it was like one of the best drives I'd ever hit. It was like a divine moment uh, that there had to be some intervention that had to help me do that. So, of course, Dad gets even more frustrated. Like, that didn't help him, right? So, he gets up there, and he's, you can see the, you know, you know how you get when you're like, I'm going I'm to do it this time, okay? So, what did I have to say to Dad right before he hit? Dad, don't hit the house, okay? I just had to throw that out there for him, right? Don't hit the house now, Dad. And my friends are standing there. And what's Dad do? He cracks that ball, and it curves like this. And it didn't hit the window, but the big shutter on the side, it hits the shutter and blows a big chunk out of the shutter. And the ball bounces over and all that stuff. And, of course, one of my friends that was with me that wasn't a Christian said, oh, blank. And we just kind of walked towards the car and left to go hiking. Okay? And so... We love that when our kids throw our advice back at us, right, that, that we give them. But this is one of those point, places where, and even we'll give our kids that whole, well, now, honey, when you grow up, you'll understand, right? But that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But check, this is Solomon, though. He gives advice but doesn't listen to his own advice, right? So Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 10 says this, and this is uh, what we'll end with, okay? Ecclesiastes 4, 9 and 10, it says, Verse 9, two are better than one, okay? Because they have a good return for their labor. Two people can do three to four times the, the work of just one person because of that thing called synergy, right? You learned that in school. If either of them falls down, they stumble. One can help the other up, okay? This, this is our world, our kids' world. This is... This is how it works. Let's look at this. But pity anyone, and sorry, I can't help but hear uh, Mr. T when I read that. Pity the fool, right? But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. 
You see how that works? The only reason you don't have that in your life is because you don't want it. You've ran from it. You're afraid of it. You haven't done what it takes to have it. Nobody else's fault but your own. Pity the fool. Sorry. Who falls and has no one to help them up. Maybe you'll remember that now. Every time you see Mr. T in the big gold chains, you'll go, oh, you need people in your life. Okay. You pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. You have to engage in this and find this group of people. The right group of people that are going to help you. And we'll start doing groups next month and you, you need to be in one. It takes time. Okay, you're going to go to one and you're going to go, oh man, that was painful. Okay, Or you might go and be like, that was wonderful. Right? And then four weeks into it, be like, well, it's not like it was at the beginning. It, it takes time. It takes effort. You got to invest in relationships for that to get there. Okay. It takes time to build friendships and relationships like this. And yes, it's hard. But you got to start somewhere. You got to do that. And if you don't think you need it, if you think, well, I'm just so great, I don't need all these other people, well, maybe they need you. Okay. You share some of your greatness with them. Okay. We, you're just letting them miss out on that, okay? You really do have something to bring to the group, and they do need you. God's designed it that way, and the group has something to bring to your life. Um, and I, I tweeted this Facebook thing last night. Uh, I had this thought of, it's so funny how because of our culture, we get so dri driven. Even the leadership can get so driven at thinking, how do I make church more convenient for people? How do I make this easier for people? How do, how, how do we, how do, and, and we try. It's not like we go, well, we're just not doing any of that, okay? We try to make things as convenient as possible, as easy as possible, make it easier for everybody. But it's, it's more about relationships and spiritual growth than just making it easy because you can't microwave spiritual growth and relationships. You can't, you can't put that in the microwave, okay? It does, it's like I said in that, you know, stop demanding convenience from your church is what I tweeted last night, is it, you can't, we can't do that for you we have to do that with you, okay? We can't just do spiritual growth for you, do relationships for you. It's a with thing. We all have to do that together, okay? Any, anything with that's going to give you high return takes what? High investment, right? All, all the business people in here understand the higher the, the greater the investment, the greater the risk, the, the higher the potential return, right? It's relationships, okay? It's small groups. It's the higher the risk, the higher the investment, the greater the potential return, okay? And and we get this. We get this concept with sports, with our kids, and education, and in our career. The more harder we go after it and do the stuff that's hard, right? You hate homework. You hate practices. You hate all the stuff you have to do for your career that... But boy, we like the paycheck, right? Or boy, we like winning the game. Or we like having the education that gets us whatever, right? We understand this about everything else in our culture except for this for some reason, for, for church. It's like, if we're going to get to that place where the like the Bible describes what the community of believers is like, we have to do the stuff it takes to get there. And it's not easy, right? It, and, and then we wonder why our kids are growing up and not staying connected to church in our world today. Hmm. Maybe we've not taught them to stay connected to church, but we've taught them everything else. It's messy. It's hard. It's hard to host. It's hard to lead. It, it's hard to get kids home and get them into bed. they got school in the morning. you got homework. It's hard to do all that. We're not looking for convenient. We're looking for what's right, what the Bible says we should do, how we should live. So let's figure out how to do this 
and do the hard work it takes to have community. We're trying to do what the Bible says. What's right, what is good, what honors God. And is that supposed to always be convenient? Are we supposed to get a pass on that and it just happen anyway? I guess we just have to do it the way God prescribes it. Because that's the way it's going to turn out the most healthy. So let's pray this morning. Father, I just pray that people in this church would want to pursue relationships. One, because it's it's a wonderful thing, especially when we stumble. But Father, they would pursue them because it, it's what you have mandated for us. It's what you have commanded us to do. It's how we grow. God, would you just spark something in people? That you would allow them to see their need in their lives, one for you, yes, but for others. So, Father, we're, we're looking for that new movement, a, a renewed movement in our church of small groups. Thank you for those who have stepped up and the potential for these groups that are all over the place, all over our county and other places, Father. Looking forward to what you're going to do through that. Father, I know this world is cursed with sin and people who are born in sin that they're going to be things that we stumble over. Things that can take us out if we aren't careful. If we don't invest in those relationships. So Father, I pray that each and every person in here would have that. Would you build your church to be a strong flock that picks each other up, that has shepherds that lead and guide? We thank you for Jesus, who is the great shepherd that taught us so much about how to do this life and to have hope for the life to come. So we thank you in his name.